This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Golden Edge listeners. I want to take 30 seconds to introduce you to a new podcast from the Review Journal called Critical Condition, Accounts from 1 October. It's a five-part series sharing the powerful stories of two Las Vegas officers who responded to the scene of the 1 October shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. You can find it wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Just search Critical Condition Accounts from 1 October or visit ReviewJournal.com backslash podcasts for more information. Now, on to Golden Edge. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. What is up, hockey fans? It is the Golden Edge Podcast, and we are back in your ears or your earbuds. Ben Goats, Dave Shane, the Golden Knights just finished off a three-game road trip that Dave was on while I was relaxing. So, Dave, are you even able to match my energy level right now? Don't worry about that. I'm fired up today. Um, I totally hopped up on airline snacks and ginger ale and, like, dude, we're good to go. I don't... We might have to have the producer seriously get the sensor button. I don't. We're going unfiltered today. We're good to go. I'm. I'm seriously fired up. All right. Like a lot of stuff got me riled up. So so good. This is going to be a good one. All right. Well, Dave's riled up. As he said, it's going to be a good one. But before we get started, we want to remind you that Golden Edge Podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos, uh, and also reminder that we. Come at you guys every week. We try to hit you up every Wednesday with a new episode, breaking down what the Golden Knights are doing. And since last we spoke, a lot has happened. We've got four games that happened, a shootout win over the Ottawa Senators at home, and then that aforementioned three-game road trip where the Golden Knights beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 3 nothing with two late empty netters. They lost to the Philadelphia Flyers 6-2, to and then they defeated the Chicago Blackhawks last night in a shootout. Shea Theodore with the... A really impressive game-winning goal there. Oh, and uh, one of their forwards got popped for PEDs. So a again, lot to, again, again, here we go again. So a lot to cover. Uh, that was six of a possible eight points I just talked about. So a good week points-wise, but it wasn't the most impressive, I think, via the eye test. So Dave, are you knocking on this team for not necessarily winning with style, or are they just getting results and you just kind of leave it at that? So I'm a golfer, and there's that saying about they don't ask how, they ask how many. Like, that's what, you know, I don't think style at this point matters. Like, clearly Fleury's been bailing them out. Clearly they have some issues that they need to sort out. Yeah, we'll but, talk about Fleury later. He's you know, incredible. But they're getting it. They're figuring out a way. So, you know, tip your cap. Credit to them. What were they, 7-4? 7-4, and 14 right points. They're right on the heels of the, you know, super hot Edmonton Oilers. Second in the Pacific right now. So... You know, I mean, everybody that wanted to hit the panic button and, and all that, I mean, think about last year without Nate Schmidt and kind of the start that they got off to. 
Yeah, they're seven and four, and this so. one's not only without Nate Schmidt, but you, we still haven't seen Alex Tuck play a game. He's still not around. Malcolm Subban, of course, played one game, was yanked, and then we saw how it went when the Golden Knights put a different backup there, which we could also touch on. Not a good look for Oscar Dansk in his first start of the season. But I think what was more impressive, to kind of your point, is how the Knights finished off that road trip. They were losing one nothing to the Blackhawks for most of the game. It gets to the third period, and rather than kind of just kind of die and say, you know what? It's not our night. Flurry's bailing us out, but we're losing this one. We're on the road. We've been on the road five days. We're playing our second game in two days. I mean, the Knights rallied. That third period I thought was really impressive, and I think any kind of neutral observer, if you ask them during that game which team is playing the back-to-back and which one is at home and rested, they would have said the Knights for the latter. The Knights looked much better in that third period, and, of course, they made a push. Nothing really came of it until they got the six on five. Mark Stone makes a gorgeous pass to Nick Holden and they tie it up and end up winning in a shootout they have a weird kind of mojo in that building where they do that they did it last year Shea Theodore won it in overtime on a goal he actually didn't even score it if if you remember it was actually like knocked off of his stick and through I don't remember if it was Crawford or uh, Delia's I don't remember but just kind of a similar feeling where they had no business getting any points out of that and they end up with two a lot of that obviously is flurry and, and just kind of keeping them in it, giving them a chance. You know, as long as that game was one nothing, you know, any little bounce, any something. I mean, there was actually a play earlier where Cody Glass kind of wheeled in the slot and found Mark Stone, and he kind of came in all alone. And I was like, oh, he's going to tie it. Like, it's Mark Stone. He's going to tie it. Like, the way Mark Stone's going right now. And he actually wasn't able to sneak it past Lanner as well as flurry played. Leonard was almost equally as Mark good. Mark Stone's follow-up like, to that shot was impressive, too. Yeah. His backhand, Leonard, I thought, made an even better save on the second attempt than right. the first one. So, you know, you look at the Blackhawks, they're 2-4-1, but, you know, Leonard said it afterward, like, they're they're better than their record. And for the Knights to go in there and, and sneak, you know, two points out of there, and especially after the way they played in Philly, because that was a complete dud. Uh, that was just an absolute stinker. So to have that and then kind of – slog your way through basically like a period and a half, almost two periods, and then still figure out a way to do it. Those are the types of things. They build character in the locker room. We heard the We Are Family and all that. It's Again, back, baby. Yeah, I think that's going to be a recurring thing, I think. Like the 79 Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you know, but those are the, you know, it's important two points, you know, when you get into February and March and all that, but just it it rallies a team. It's it's one of those things you you, you learn from it, you build from it, when you can overcome adversity and all of that, it's it's good for a team. Yeah, so one reason the Knights were in a lot of close games this past week, as we were mentioning, outside of that Flyers game, their offense just seems to be in a little bit of a funk right now. They haven't been scoring as much as we might have uh, been expecting. Uh, they had two empty net goals, as I mentioned previously, in these four games. They had three power play goals, a six-on-five goal, a four-on-four goal. So that means one goal out of their in their past four games was a five-on-five goal, and that was actually the first goal they scored against the Senators. So it's been a long time since they've scored five-on-five. I mean, causes, I think Jonathan Marshall looks like he's in his own head a little bit right now. Brandon Peary had a tough game last night, and they're not getting a lot of offense from their blue line outside of Nate Schmidt. Is this a big concern moving forward, do you think, Dave, or is this just kind of one of those – funky things that happened during an 82 game season. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's just kind of, let's look at the stretch kind of individually. They hung like 54 shots on Ottawa. 
That's true. You know, and Nielsen basically did the stand on his head routine. So it's not like they stunk up the joint that night. They got into a, you know, kind of a back and forth a little bit with Pittsburgh. They definitely gave up some chances, you know, but basically it was a one nothing game, you know, and to go on the road against Pittsburgh that had a five-game winning streak, that's what you want to do. You know, you want to just basically kind of be able to grind out games and, and things like that. The Philly game, like I said, was just a stinker, you know. And then, you know, Leonard made some good saves. I thought, you know, like I said, for, for Chicago, you know, maybe a period and a half or two periods where, you know, they probably didn't play real well. And then and then they, they clicked in. And, and all so individually you break it down like that, and it's like, well, there's reasons for all of it as a, you know, bigger thing, yeah. Because like you said, Carlson's not scoring. March is not scoring. I guess if you look at the advanced stats and the expected goals, it's all there. Like they're creating chances clearly. So you feel like at some point they're going to go in. Um, that was something that Flyers coach Elaine Vigneault talked about with his team before the Knights uh, game on Monday was, you know, they hadn't scored, but they were hanging more shots than their shot. The Flyers shot differential going into that game was number one in the league. So it would. They just felt like we're gonna have a game where it goes in. Happened to be against Oscar Dansk, um, you know. So I think there's reasons for it. I, I think there's always things in a season. There's always points where you have concerns, and yeah, these things pop up. I think if it was more so that if they weren't creating chances, and you go, man, we they they need to break some of these lines up, and you know, find some new combination, which obviously Gerard Gallant did a little bit, but. He kind of went after the first period in Chicago, like, yeah, I kind of tried it because he thought it worked actually pretty well in Philly, even though they gave up the four goals. I think the thing from that, and and I actually want to turn this a little bit. Nobody wanted to say that was on Oscar Dansk, but that game was on Oscar Dansk. There is some, there is some rough, rough. Goals you know, that he I don't up. really fault him for the first goal. The second one, a hundred percent on him. Third goal, probably about ninety nine percent on him. And then you're down 3 nothing, and then you're gambling, you know, and you give up a 2-on-1, and then you give up a breakaway in the third period. Like, you can't fault him for those. But he, you know. He got them into a hole. Right, right. On now, the road. Now, and this is the other thing, too. I don't like the position the Knights put him in. I'll flat out say that. This, and this is one of the things that got me all fired up today and whatever. I don't like how that situation was handled at all. Going back to when the recall was, Oscar Dance played October 5th. For the Chicago Wolves in the AHL, gave up seven goals on 25 shots. Had him played again, and then he was recalled, basically to be the backup when Malcolm Subban, you know, was injured. I don't know how much intention they really had to play Oscar Dance. They obviously gave Flurry both games of the back-to-back the first time around, correct? Yes. So if they were going to know that they had a back-to-back, and their farm team is in Chicago— like if if you feel like Oscar Dansk is struggling right now, that you bring him up only to be the backup, not to play. That you actually want the guy, you know, if you need an NHL game out of somebody, you would bring up the guy who's playing in the AHL. That's kind of an old philosophy. Gary Lawless actually had talked about that. You know, kind of back in the days, the goaltender that would get called up would be like the number four, and the number three guy would actually be playing in the minors. And if they needed a game, then they would switch them. So to me, if you thought Oscar Dance was better than Garrett Sparks based on performance in the minors, I don't know where you would get that. So two, if you have a back-to-back coming up, why not give Flurry the game in Philly and then have the guy drive across town 
in Chicago. He doesn't have to fly. There's no travel. He's comfortable. Dylan Ferguson was playing in Chicago. It's not like he's, you know, Garrett Sparks was tired or anything. Right. So to me, just that whole situation and the way that it was handled on that road trip and leading it, I have major, major, major issues with that. It was weirdly handled. And as you said, when Dan Scott called up after giving up the seven goals in his first AHL start, I think it was at least seemed pretty, pretty clear, like, oh, they're not calling him up to play. They're calling him up to have a warm body just in case something happens with Marc-Andre Fleury. And then they played Marc-Andre Fleury in both games back-to-back and gave that indication, too, that, yeah, this is kind of our warm body until they all of a sudden played him against the Flyers, which was interesting. And then Garrett Sparks actually played today as we're recording this on Wednesday. He played this morning for the Chicago Wolves and then got called up. They made that swap. Right. Now. now. So why now? Yeah, like, why now? You know what I mean? Like, why couldn't Sparks play Tuesday and just send Dansk across town to play today in the morning? Good question. I, I guess, I mean, the only thing I can think of is at that point, they clearly had Dansk graded as number three guy. Sparks number four. It's the only way to interpret it, right? Right. So, well, he goes and gives up six in Philly. So now just based on a f- one performance where they basically didn't really put him in a you know, position to succeed as far as I'm concerned. He hadn't played in 16 days. Hadn't played. It's on the road. First game of a back-to-back. Against a team that's got a lot of offense that had been waiting to break out. It just didn't feel like a situation where Oscar Dansk was put where he could succeed. I just question that. I really question that. Especially because he's a young guy. He was making his first NHL start in almost two years. Where, of course, Garrett Sparks was in the NHL last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not so good NHL numbers, but he's off to a really good start in the AHL this year. He won the Calder Cup the year before that. He outperformed Oscar Dansk in the AHL just based on their track records, their history. So... You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. So that's what's got me all going. I don't, I just, I, I don't like to put my opinion out there a lot on the, on this stuff because I don't feel it's warranted. I'm not going to say that I know more than the coaches, the managers, and things. But I just, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't see it, and, and I know I'm not going to get an explanation. You know, hey, if, if listeners want to chime in on this, I'm all for it. Because this, there are a lot of things that the Knights have done over the years where you go, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. I can understand that. This one, I don't, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's a little weird. And of course, we are now uh, 13 days into Malcolm Subban's injury. He got injured, of course, against the Arizona Coyotes and his first start of the season. And I believe we were given a day-to-day timeline once he got hurt. Day-to-day has now turned into almost two weeks so and since they just called up a different goaltender than the one that they had previously serving as the backup, that leads me to question how much longer this injury is going to linger for Malcolm Subban, and certainly puts all of this in an interesting light. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to fifty dollars. Well, another thing that shed some interesting light on the Knights is the fact that for the second time in two years, they had a player get popped for the NHL and NHL Players Association performance enhancing substance policy. Uh, This time it was Valentin Zikoff, who uh, apparently, according to general manager George McPhee, said to McPhee that he had been taking supplements for four years. Now, Zikoff had been in the Knights organization for less than one year, but obviously McPhee said, we didn't know about this. And even if we did, we wouldn't have endorsed it or told them to do it. 
And so Zekoff is now gone for 20 games. We will see whether he gets his spot in the lineup or just his roster spot back. Um, but Dave, first of all, what does it say about the Knights that uh, I believe we've had six players since the new CBA went into effect in 2013 get popped uh, under this policy? Six players total. Two of them have been Golden Knights, who didn't begin playing, of course, until 2016. So they've had a third of the total players that get you know, popped under this policy in about half the time the CBA has been in existence. And so just, I guess, the overarching question is why? Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible look, right? Like, you know, our colleague Ed Green, he wrote, I thought really well, like, at worst, it's just, it's an awful look for the organization, you know? And and I think even George McPhee had to acknowledge, like, yeah, it's, it, I understand your questions. Like, it's a fair question to ask. And obviously he had his explanation for it, but... I, to me, it's almost, you know, you go back and you can look at, I think it was like Kanopka or whatever was, was one of them was like an asthma inhaler that he said had a steroid in it and was just like, you know, hey, I forgot I didn't get it approved or whatever. Like he took complete responsibility for it, you know, but we don't know obviously what happened with Nate Schmidt. We've kind of heard maybe some theories, but the thing with this is if it's the supplement, which that's the other thing too, because of the CBA, like we don't know what he actually tested for. Nope. So he could have said, oh, yeah, I've been taking these supplements, but it could have been something completely different that he actually popped hot for. We, you know, we, we have no idea. So all of this is just kind of an awful look, one. But two, I think the way that the organization reacted to the Nate Schmidt one versus the Valentin Zikoff case, they were such stark contrast. 180. It was ridiculous, and that's kind of McPhee's explanation when he got asked, like, why is it happening just to your organization, almost, it feels like. And McPhee was like, well, we have two completely different scenarios. One, Nate Schmidt, we believe him, we stand behind him, we did not endorse the suspension then, we do not think it was justified now, we think Schmidt was punished unfairly, and of course Schmidt basically feels that way because he's trying to change the CBA in this next round of negotiations. Schmidt is the Knights NHLPA representative and in negotiations for the league for the next collective bargaining agreement, he wants to change how testing is done to kind of avoid what he would say a situation like what happened to him happened to anyone else. Zikov, on the other hand, I mean, Big Fee basically just completely threw under the bus, not only in his statements to the media, but of course in the statement that the team just put out saying, yeah, Zikov willingly took an illegal substance, got banned. We support this. He deserves to be punished which was, like I said, just drastically different than their response to the Schmidt thing, not only from their words, which were 100% of support, but I believe McPhee said he testified at Schmidt's appeal to try to get his suspension reversed. The Knights obviously rewarded Schmidt while he was suspended with a contract extension, whereas with Valentin Zikoff, like I said, I question whether he even has a spot in the locker room when he comes back. Well, like you said, I was going to say, Schmidt got a, what, a six-year contract? Yeah. Zikov got his stuff taken out of the locker and his nameplate removed. Yep, no equipment in there anymore. So, you know, I mean, I don't see how he plays for him. I'll tell you what, more than, more than that, I don't see how the Knights as an organization can withstand just the image hit. If you have a lineup with two guys that have violated the PED testing policy, I, I mean... Okay, the, like like we've just talked about, they clearly support Nate Schmidt. 
but you're going to support Zekoff? I mean, they invested a lot in him. I understand that. He let them down. Like, there's no other way to look at this. Like, he tested positive. What's weird to me is, okay, if he was taking this supplement for four years, did he never take a test for four years? It's really weird. So is this the first time he was tested, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, guess I couldn't have, you know, taken Mr. Protein Shake or whatever from the GNC or, you know, whatever, like, the bodybuilder guys used to take. I don't know. I used to see him in the mall Because he didn't come to the Knights from Russia, to be clear. He was playing with the Edmonton Oilers before that, the Carolina Hurricanes before that. He's been in the NHL. Well, now I'll go back even further. He's been in junior. He played juniors. He played in the Quebec Junior League since like 2012-13 season, if I remember right. He's been in North America for six seasons, seven years, something like that. This is not like, this is not the stereotypical Russian dirty, you know, whatever. Like he's been here. All of the, none of this is new to him. So, so in terms of, I don't think he's pleading ignorance. I mean, he clearly you know, accepted responsibility in his statement. I think his Asian has maybe leaked some stuff or said some things to some other, you know, media folks about, you know, well, you know, he didn't know or whatever. I mean, if he was taking a supplement, like, dude, that's on you, you know? So for the Knights to have just the image hit and put him back in the lineup, I don't see it. And then this is the other thing too. Does he warrant it? I'll say, what are you holding on to? I mean, you said they've invested a lot in him. I would argue they picked him up off the scrap heap. He's making kind of barely above. Well, the they invested minimum. a summer in him in that terms of conditioning and trying to turn him into a player. They they made a commitment to him that, you know, look, we're picking you up off waivers. There's a certain age gap that you're, you know, gonna fit on this team, this roster. We need, you know, players 23, 24 years old that that can, you know, maybe produce and things. They gave him a chance. They gave him every opportunity to succeed. A guy who's been on waivers twice. Like, I just don't see how somebody like him is going to be welcome back in the NHL. Yeah, because he hasn't produced. I mean, in 17 games with the Golden Knights, he has four points. Uh, I mean, I think we talked to him about him a lot in the preseason because he looked impressive. He was forechecking hard. That just didn't seem to translate to the regular season. Just nothing he seemed to be doing was providing a ton of value Tonight, so we'll see what happens moving forward. One one time I trashed my friend's ex-girlfriend and then they got back together and they ended up getting married and I feel terrible about it. So I'm gonna trash Zekoff here and you know, maybe he comes back and maybe I have to look from face to face in the locker room and whatever. But you know, like I'm sorry, I don't like his game. I don't I don't like his game. I, I where does he score from? What is he trying to do out there? He's not a set, he's not gonna like make plays, he's not gonna like dangle guys because he doesn't move his feet. Right, he doesn't go to the front of the net and get gritty, greasy, dirty goals and rebounds and tips and all that sort of stuff. He seems like he kind of wants the highlight goal. And is he good enough to score the highlight goal? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen him get into spots where guys can get him the puck. He's got a heavy shot. Like that's the one thing I'll say. You like that's clearly if if you're gonna scout somebody like him and you look and you're looking for like that one skill and you see him shoot the puck, you're like okay. He's got a shot. He's got an NHL shot. Now, whether he can score with it, I don't know. Because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen him get into spots where he can score and use it. I just don't know what he's trying to uh, kind of accomplish out there. I don't know what his end product is, I guess. Yeah, fair question. We'll see what happens when his suspension ends after 20 games. So, so far, he is four games into that. Uh, One thing the Knights are also getting into, the penalty box. They have really liked getting into the penalty box through 11 games this season. They, of course, 
we are second in minor penalties taken, excuse me, uh, to the Calgary Flames. They are first, though, in penalty minutes per game. Uh, Braden McNabb is the main culprit. He has 11 minors already, so he's on pace for a penalty per game this season for a grand total of 82 at the end of the year. Uh, the Knights, I think, more than a lot of other teams, have been really taken out of rhythm by this because, I mean, Jar Gallant talks about it all the time. I want to roll four lines. They distribute minutes to their D pairs, you know, pretty evenly. Like, there's not a huge gap between the first pair and the third pair. So when you have to get to your penalty kill units and then kind of mishmash lines and D pairs out there after the penalty kill is over, it wrecks the momentum that the team wants to build with its lines and D pairs. And so it's not a good trend for the Knights so far. No, they've been getting lucky that 29 is in the net. And I don't want to segue because we're going to talk about about Flurry here in a little bit. Um, but, I mean, he's been bailing them out. Like, you look at his, you know, shorthand and save percentage and and all of those sorts of things. Like, I mean, he's clearly been their best penalty killer. It's it's an issue. I mean, it was something that Jar Glant talked about a little bit on the road trip. We saw it show up in the first two periods in Chicago. Like, they just couldn't, you know, I mean, it's four p- penalties, but it's what you talked about. You can't roll the four lines and... and <laughs> So it's really fun to, and I'm going to write a story about this at some point here. I'm going to tease this. The March or so Cody Glass, Max Pacioretty line that comes out after the PK. It's like their best line. Like you go and look at their Corsi. It's like 60 something percent. It's crazy. They always come out and like just flip momentum once that penalty kill is going. And I asked Cody Glass about it and he's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe we have fresh legs or, or something like that. Cause none of them are, are PKers, but that's the one thing, like, they've they've taken so many penalties, but they've done a really good job on the PK. Obviously, going into the Philly game, they were, like, number one in the league. I haven't looked at it um, in the last day or two. I apologize for that, so I don't know where they stand at the moment. But but that has been really good. I thought Philly actually... The Philly game was actually a little weird because the first, the first power play goal was kind of almost like a broken play. It, like, went off Holden's stick when he was kind of clearing and went right to Konechny, and... I actually thought it was a really good shot. So I'm not going to totally put that one on dance because the way that the, the puck, just the bounce, and then it was a really good shot. Like, he picked a corner off the post and and basically went bar in. Like, you know, sometimes you got to tip your cap to, to some of these guys a little bit. Um, and then the other one was like, they had a great kill for like a minute 45, and then boom, they get hit with like this cross-ice sauce pass, you know, for a one-timer when the defenseman excuse me, uh, Niskanen kind of sneaks in back door. That was a pretty good play by Philly there, you know? So it's not like they were like out there running around like terrible PK. It cost him in that game on the score sheet and whatever. But that's the one thing they've consistently been really good at this year. They've been aggressive and they create so many chances. We talked about that Smith Carlson pairing, but you know, even like Stone and Eakin, you know, they've done a really good job. But, and Gerard Glant talked about this they have to be at three or less. If you're at more, if you're, you know, when you get to four and more PKs per game, that's just the odds start working against you. You know, it's just math kind of at that point. Um, and you start, you know, you're playing good teams. I mean, they held Chicago without power, but power, Chicago's got a really good power play. I mean, they got know? Kane, Taves, they got good players yeah. on their power play. Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to the Knights. The one thing is, I don't know if it's sustainable. Like, you're not going to kill it like 94% or whatever they were kind of, you know, the other day for a whole season. Yeah. 
The Knights are at uh, 90.9% right now. That is still number one in the NHL. But if, as you mentioned, if they keep giving teams opportunities, it's just math that you're not going to be able to kill uh, you know, over 90% of the penalties you give up throughout the entire NHL season. That's just way too difficult with the amount of skill that the NHL has these days, especially with scoring kind of just up across the league. It's yeah, too point. much to ask of Marc-Andre Fleury. great point. Thank you. I try, I try to bring up good points every now and then on the Golden Edge podcast. Well, we mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury and how uh, incredible he has been. Uh, I looked it up for you. He is a 967 save percentage while they are shorthanded. He has faced 60 shots, only allowed two to go in. Uh, it's just part of the overall package that has made Marc-Andre Fleury, I think, pretty easily one of the best goaltenders in the NHL this season. I think that's pretty inarguable. Through 11 games, the numbers obviously support it. So here are just some fun ones if you want to impress your friends. Uh, he is, of course, leading the league with seven wins. All seven of the night's wins have come with Marc-Andre Fleury in net. He is a 9.37 save percentage, 2.04 goals against average. Both really good. But here is the kicker. He has 8.77 goals saved above average. So that is almost nine goals that a league average goaltender would let in that Marc-Andre Fleury did not. That leads the league. It is a reason the Golden Knights are standing here today at 7-4. and four. I mean, as I just kind of mentioned, Dave, there's guys like Tuka Rask that I think have been really good, in part because he's getting way more rest than Marc-Andre Fleury. Carter Hutton in Buffalo has been part of their really impressive start to the season. But you have to put Marc-Andre Fleury kind of up there in the, you know, through 10 games, best goaltender conversation. Yeah, 100%. I mean... I, you know, I'll do my, I'll revisit my Heisman argument that I don't like to talk about in November. Like, I'm not going to talk about the Vesna, you know, like three weeks into this season. We're but, a ways away. Right. But, but like, I mean, clearly he's been, I mean, basically the best goalie in the league, right? I mean, yeah. you can look at other stats and, and whatever, but I mean, where are the Knights without him? Where are the Knights without him just in general? You know, that was the one thing in Pittsburgh that was just so apparent. You know, it was so fun, like, riding around, like, the lifts and Ubers and whatever. Hear the drivers, like, talk about, oh, Flower, oh, we love them here. And I like, had the same experience last year. All the Uber drivers or whoever you want to talk to in Pittsburgh still love yeah. talking about Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I just go back to this. Like, okay, clearly they drafted better than anybody projected. Like, some of these guys were better. Like, it was, but where is this team without Marc-Andre Fleury? Like, do they win 40 games ever if they have just an average goalie, you know, or even a decent goalie, let alone Marc-Andre Fleury. I just don't see it. I mean, he, we'll, we'll see how this season plays out and, you know, whether his workload gets crazy or, you know, knock on wood, something, you know, whatever. But, I mean, just the way that he's going right now at almost 35 years old, I mean, I don't want to say it's remarkable because, you know, I mean, clearly guys have, you know, played well at that age. But, I mean, I guess if nothing else, like, it's cool to see you know, I mean, he was in the expansion draft. Like, he got basically supplanted by Matt Murray. You know, people were questioning, like, how much does Marc Andre Fleury have left? Here we are, you know, two and a half, three years later, whatever it is. And we're talking about whether he's the best goalie in the league, you know? I mean, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty remarkable, you know, when you kind of break it down like that. No, it's incredible. And it's, you know, eventually potentially going to be historic for him, too. I mean, you, of course, mentioned. In your story the other day, Marc-Andre Fleury is now seventh 
has sole possession of seventh place in the NHL all-time wins list. He was four behind Rangers goaltender uh, Henrik Lundqvist. And so that's a little bit of a moving target. So that's going to be a little bit harder for him to hit because he has to, of course, win four more games than a guy who's also still active and playing. So we'll see about that. Uh, but he's only eight behind fifth place uh, Curtis Joseph, a.k.a. Cujo. So, I mean, these are incredible milestones for any goaltender to achieve, let alone one who, after this year, has two more years on his contract. Now, we've, of course, talked about Marc-Andre Fleury is, uh, I believe, 34 years old right now. He'll be even older at the end of this contract, so who knows how he looks at the end of it. But, I mean, right now, he is playing at, of course, a historic level, and we'll see what happens and how high he can climb that list while he's still a member of the Gold Knights. I mean, if he plays out the rest of this contract, it's pretty easy to see him ended up in third on that list and beating out Roberto Luongo. Go Cujo, Badger. I got just got to throw that in there for you. But uh, it's going to be a fun little race for like the next like two, three weeks or whatever it is because the Rangers stink, right? They're, they're, they're not playing well. Yeah, they had a weird break early on in the season where they played one game, didn't play for a while, and now they're... It's just not happening. But yeah, I mean, like I saw some comments from Quinn the other, you know, the other day. Just they're they're trying to find stuff there. They're they're just not. It hasn't clicked. It's going to be a fun little race for like the next three weeks to see if Marc Andre Fleury can get to uh to get to Cujo before Lundqvist does, you know, because the way that he's going right now, and you know he's going to get starts. I mean, the Knights are playing pretty well. We'll see if they're able to kind of build, you know, off this road trip, off that Chicago game especially, um, but. If he can kind of make up ground, I mean, what did you say, four behind? Only four behind Henry yeah. Lundqvist right so, now. So, I mean, that's, you know, like I said, if the Rangers keep stumbling and bumbling and the Knights keep winning, like, it, it could be a fun little race for him to uh, to get to Cujo first. No, and I think it's very possible. And we'll see. So, yeah, Henrik Lundqvist at 450, Mark andre Fleury at 446. Either way, they're both in the top 10 all-time. Uh, most of the other members of that top 10, of course, are in the Hall of Fame uh, except Cujo, right now anyway, and Roberto Luongo, who retired literally last year and, of course, was replaced by Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida's net this year. Uh, well, that's pretty much all we got for you today on the Golden Edge podcast. A lot to get through in a four-game week. The Knights, of course, are now back. They play the Colorado Avalanche. We'll be without Miko Rantanen, one of their best players. He was announced as week-to-week with an injury today. Uh, on Friday, they play them. Then they host the Ducks, the Montreal Canadiens, Max Pacioretty's old team, and the Winnipeg Jets November 2nd before uh, another fun four-game East Coast road trip for Dave. Uh, before Looking forward we, to that one. <laughs> before we head out, we'll remind you one more time, Golden Edge Podcast is presented by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We bring you this podcast every week, try to get the most up-to-date and insightful uh, Golden Knights insight and, of course, metaphors from Dave, who's sharing lovely stories about his friend's uh, ex-girlfriend turned wife. So congrats to that happy couple. Hope things are still working out for you. That's it for us today. We'll, of course, talk to you next week. For Dave Shade, I'm Ben Goats. We'll catch you again real soon. It didn't work out. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.